Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Donald J. Trump has been impeached. Those are the first words of the day. What are the next words? Who will have the last word? And we welcome your phone calls. What did we learn yesterday? You will have some of the words. What needs to happen next? What do we think about the John Dean position, the Lawrence Tribe position? What should be completed? What should be expected? What should be required before articles of impeachment are sent from the House of Representatives to the United States Senate? It's also thank you Thursday. What are we thankful for? I'm thankful to moderate freshmen. I don't know what they'll do. And what each of them will say or how they might vote on environmental protections in international trade. I don't know what they might do about a health care for all proposal. But I know that they were willing to risk political fire to stand up for the Constitution and to be sure that in this country there is at least one chamber that is willing to hold a president of the United States accountable. I am grateful for that. What are you grateful for? I'm Jefferson Smith, and I am sitting in for the Tom Hartman Show. Jill from Belfair, you are the first caller on this historic day. Thank you for being that. Watching the Rachel Maddow show last night, I had a concern, and then I had a consideration, having to do with the impeachment trial in the House, in the Senate, because of the things that Mitch McConnell has said and the things that others have said about that trial. It's like the fix is in. It's like it's not going to be a fair trial. That's a concern. And what my suggestion is is because, um, like, Mitch McConnell has the nickname Moscow Mitch, and it's been said and reported in some media that there are senators and there are Congress people who have received money from the Russians. And I was thinking that if there is an if there could be an investigation made before the trial of how many in the Senate have received money from yeah. the Russians, and they should be excused from the trial because of how they would be influenced. 
Jill, thank you for the call, and it's a fair point. This is why I've said from the beginning, every time I've had a chance to broach the subject here, that if we think that this is only a story about a single president, if we think this is only a story about a single former reality star, then we are missing the story. Uh, uh, later in the show, I'll uh, probably again connect where I think the true parallels, or at least the lessons of the Nixon impeachment, because most of those lessons, I think, are not applicable in the modern media, in the post-Fox News, and the post-Federal Society age. The judiciary is different. The media is different. The political apparatus is different than it was in the early 1970s. Uh, and so I think our grappling with political corruption, our grappling with what ails democracy has to go beyond a particular president. And by the way, it's linked to my opening thoughts that I do think it is the 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 hacking. And I don't just mean technological hacking, the hacking, the recognition that the uh, current majority party in the U.S. Senate, that the current the party of the current president had become so monotheistic, had become so monochromatic had become so connected to a common news network that as long as you could insert yourself into that color, as long as you could insert yourself into that religion or pretend that you were, as long as you could insert yourself in that desire to make sure that people could own as many uh, weapons of mass murder as they chose, as long as you could find your way to donating to seem like a Republican loyalist, you could in fact subvert the best values of that political party. You could in fact become a trusted source and that we saw happen with the National Rifle Association. And I think an investigation about how broad and how deep that went is absolutely apt. From KPFK in Compton, California, Ernesto, you're on the line. You got a question, I think. Hey, Jefferson, hi. I do have a question. How long can Nancy hold the articles of impeachment? Can she hold it till after we become the majority in the Senate? Yes. We need to get him up. She can? Yes. But that's probably what we need to do to make sure that we get him up out of office. What good is the impeachment if he's still going to be in office? John Dean's proposal, and I and I don't know if it was original to him, but I picked up on it the moment I saw him send it out, and the uh, and and I didn't hear anybody else talk about it until he did, which was this idea of impeach and withhold. Some people are saying impeach and hold that, and and that's why one of the questions I have is. What should be the conditions under which the House of Representatives sends those articles of impeachment over to the Senate? It should at the very least be some agreed upon fair trial. Should it also include making sure that investigations around emoluments, investigations around the Trump's taxes, and has he been violating U.S. tax law during his presidency? Are there any other conditions? Are there any other questions we want answered prior to the House sending them over? Uh, there is not. Uh, there is not a Mission Impossible destruct button inside the Articles of Impeachment. They live past this current Congress. To answer your question. Yes, sir. Yes, that sounds good to me. All right. All right, Mike. Appreciate it. Appreciate the call. Mike from WRRD in Madison, Wisconsin. How you doing, Mike? Well, you know, I'm a little bit confused after yesterday. Uh, First of all, I want to say that I'm very thankful for uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who I think knocked it out of the park, and it was no act. But I'd also like to thank her for her role, I guess, as conscious pilot yesterday. It must have been her role. They were comparing 
the trials of Jesus and Pontius Pilate, one of the Republicans said that Pontius Pilate was more fair with Jesus at his trial. Why don't we pause there for a second? I think we have that clip. The Sixth Amendment guarantees the right of the defendant to face their accuser. But not only have the Democrats prohibited Republicans and the president from questioning the so-called whistleblower, his identity has been kept secret. Before you take this historic vote today, one week before Christmas, I want you to keep this in mind. When Jesus was falsely accused of treason, Pontius Pilate gave Jesus the opportunity to face his accusers. During that sham trial, Pontius Pilate afforded more rights to Jesus than the Democrats have afforded this president in this process. I want to respond, okay, Mike. I want to respond to that. Let's be clear. Pontius Pilate had Jesus beaten and whipped. threw into jail overnight prior to any of that, marched through the streets, carrying a cross, and then nailed him to that cross until he died to compare the constitutionally authorized exploration and then vote on impeachment, which included the chance for Republicans to speak and included no one being nailed to anything, is absurd. I would say unchristian and un-American, but Mike, go ahead and make your point. Well, and they also forgot, you know, they don't even leave the part about Barabbas, who was a murderer, and the the people chose to set him free to crucify Jesus. I mean, um, here's what I think about this, this these guys. You know, th- th- this is a perfect example of why we were supposed to keep state and church separate. First of all, many people have different faiths. Secondly, if you are going to warp and morph this faith into something false, um and something that can't be proven or disproven, that, that is why that it, it, it's, it's basically meant to be kept out of government, because it, it has nothing to do with the people. Amen. Um, and I'll go, I'll go further, Mike. I'll say one more. And that is the real, uh, the real teaching of not using the Lord's name in vain, the true meaning of the commandment. It's not about like saying, oh, God, it, when you like hit your thumb with a hammer. It is about invoking the deity in order to justify something that you want. That this is, that if I were to say that I am anointed by God and God is telling me to tell you all the following things and everybody better listen to me because I am speaking for God and then I teach whatever the heck I want to teach for my own benefit, that's the real problem of using the Lord's name in vain. I think one of the reasons for separating church and state is not only to make sure that state has sanctity, but as importantly, so religion has sanctity, so that we don't mess that up. But I appreciate it. Liz from Detroit, you're our call right before break. Go ahead, Liz. Hi, I'm in Arizona from Detroit, and I am grateful that we have the whistleblower. It, it changed my world when he came forward on September 17th. I wrote it down. Well, I appreciate also, you having that date. I am grateful for uh, the fact I'm in a very red district in Arizona. Since June, we've had 1,400 people register as Democrats. Wow. I have met a man born 1929 changed his registration. There are a lot of very attentive people here, even though it is Paul Gosar's district. 
Well, Liz, so, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the call. And this is a time for courage, and it can be courageous to. It requires courage to be in a place where you're getting where so many people are feeding from the same media trough. It can show courage to stand up for democracy in a place where too few people are remembering that. It can be. It, it was courageous for a member of the Trump administration, for somebody working in this U.S. government, to call out what dozens of people saw, but. We're a little too afraid to say so because they know what this president has done to witnesses. We know what this president has said about enemies. He was doing that kind of thing before he was president, and now it's more dangerous. Liz, heard your voice. Really appreciate you. This is Tom's show. I'm Jeff. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Joe from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I think you pronounce it Albuquerque. Good morning. <laughs> I just have a comment. I mean, in 2018, there was a reason why Democratic Congress people won their seats, and one of them being that, you know, people wanted to check on power. So now that you have people in office that are checking on power, I just have to wonder, are, are Americans in those districts that fickle, that they're just going to turn on them for, for doing what they wanted them to do? It's a great question, Joe. And the most important thing I'll say, or at least the most honest thing I'll, I'll say is, I don't know. I don't know what they will do. And I don't think that's set in stone. I don't think that history is destiny. And I think that whatever we predict now might even have some impact on what happens. So it's sort of a different understanding of a Heisenberg principle. The evaluation of a thing can impact that thing. I don't think we should spend all our, all our time merely on evaluation. I will do some, to be sure. I think your question's an interesting one. But I think the work that is done, I think the persuasion that is done, I think the policies that are proposed, I think the relationships that are built, I think the campaigns that are put forward, I think will have more to do with what happens in 2020 congressional elections than this particular vote. That said, it opens up swing district members of Congress to the following critique. This is not my critique, to be sure. This is the critique I heard on Fox News last night, and I know that I will hear in the coming election. While these Democrats are spending all their time trying to beat Donald Trump after he already won, trying to undo the 2016 election, rather than resolving the problems of real Americans— We didn't put you in Congress to do battle with Donald Trump. We put you in Congress to work with the president to do good things for the people. That will be the argument. It already is the argument. The biggest issue, if you ask most of the swing district Democrats, if you ask them the one issue that helped them win, they wouldn't say it was merely Donald Trump, although suburban women being uh, disgusted by this president, I think, did help a lot in those members win. They would say health care. So it does open to that attack. This is why I opened with patriotism. These freshmen, what gave them crossover appeal in many instances was not that they were McKinsey consultants. What gave them crossover appeal is not that they came out and said, well, yeah, I believe in a woman's right to choose, but I also believe that we should make sure that we don't apply antitrust law to anybody or that we should do anything about preserving the middle class. Not all of them, but multiple of them were national security Democrats, people who whose appeal to Trump voters included their military service and their standing up for the sanctity of the United States and for democracy itself. 
And given that, it is not a violation. This is why I think that the implication of your question, that, that they can survive this vote, well, I think the implication of your question is accurate, at least why I agree with it, is that this was not a violation of their fundamental promise. The fundamental promise of those swing district Democrats was not that they would protect the president. It wasn't even that they would avoid holding the president accountable. And it wasn't just, hey, we'll do health care and nothing else. It was that they would protect democracy and protect America. And therefore, when they got together, when a group of them got together and co-wrote an op-ed and changed the politics in the House and therefore changed the politics in the United States of America about whether or not articles of impeachment could go forward, just two to be sure, it was linked to their fundamental promise of protecting America. That's different. That is related to why I think that patriotism is, and I felt it now for really just about since Donald Trump was elected, can be the best part of patriotism, can be one of the best arguments made, one of the best central precepts of a movement to win, not just a barest majority of the barest party, but something closer to a national consensus around a pro-democracy set of governing principles. Howard from Muncie, Indiana. How you doing, Howard? Good. Quick comment to you. The last few days, I've been watching the Real Clear Politics poll, and today it's showing a as 0.8% differential in those who do not want Trump impeached versus those who do want Trump impeached. And taking that forward, if this information that's supposed to go to the Senate, if Pelosi decides to hold up and hold up and not send it, when everybody comes back to vacation, A, what's going to happen to the people, the voters out there? What are they going to be thinking? And is this going to change and increase that percentage differential in favor of Trump, because when you look at this information, to me, the voters, especially the independent voters, because they're the ones that really push us back and forth, they'll become like a tidal wave. And one saying is, do not get in front of a tidal wave. So that's what the Democrats may be doing when they come back. They may be standing on the shore and the tidal wave may be coming at them. And you think that tidal wave is what? Opposition to removal of Trump? Is that what you're saying? I think it's the independent voters, because I think there's, from what I've watched on this polling, I think they're the ones that swinging the numbers. I think yeah. they're the ones increasing the percentage. And what do I you think? think? What, what with what's going on. Howard, if you were named Speaker of the House for a week, what would be your conditions of sending it on over? Would your condition be whatever Mitch McConnell wants to do? Would your condition be, you know, a few things to ensure a fair trial? Would your condition be that investigations were completed or we waited for courts to rule? What would be, if any, your conditions on sending Pelosi, over the articles? Pelosi and the Democrats have always said, and Schiff said, we have an ironclad case against Trump. There's no doubt that he was wrong and we're right. And if it's based on that criteria... I'd send it over right away. I'd let everything stand on the uh, information they had, and that's the case, and say, here, Senate, here it is. We're showing them guilty. Now, you've got to vote your way, but you've got to vote what the information is showing and what your conscience says. And by that, says the voters are looking at you. How would you vote? Based on the information that you've seen, how would you vote on impeachment? Well, it's kind of funny. I watch it off and on, but... And I think some people have said this. I'll go back two and a half years ago because I remember three days after Trump won, the thing I heard was from the Democrats. This I, well, I would sort of ask, did you vote for the guy? 
Trump, I did, yes. Okay, yes. all right. So yeah, and yeah, and I, I and I get, I get, like I get that. Um, well, so let me ask this: understand it because I kind of understand where you're coming from, and I do appreciate your call and do appreciate you sharing that. Uh, what would be sufficient for you? Was there anything in this? Was there anything in? either the Mueller investigation about Trump interference with the election and about uh, anything about obstruction of justice, anything about Ukraine that you thought was significantly inappropriate, not just inappropriate like saying a bad word, but significantly inappropriate, or do you think it was all cool? There is no doubt that Trump has done things wrong, and sometimes he borders on, uh, and I'll say it, criminality. But I believe every president and person that's run for office does the same thing, whether Democrat or Republican. So you think they're all bad? All the way back, years and years. And that's that's my take. Yeah. Like I said, I used to be a pretty strong Democrat. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I changed over time. Yeah. But I think they all do things like this. But I'll say one thing about Trump. I've hated from the day he was elected. But now everybody's doing it. He tweets. Yeah. I hate that. I hate, I hate for him to tweet, yeah. but now I hate for all of them to tweet because they all do it now. Yeah, so, no, you know, where do you, where do you go with it? All right, Howard, I appreciate your call. But I'll respond to the question. As I look at the real clear politics, I don't know how the politics will play out. And I think that – and one of the things I was proud of when I first heard Elizabeth Warren say it, and she was the first person I saw say it, that the decision about impeachment needs to be made – not with primarily a view at who we voted for in 2016 or who we want to win in 2020, but what should be the standards by which a president is held to account. That that should be the set of questions. And therefore, linking our view about impeachment and removal primarily to an electoral calculus uh, I think is contra to, you know, the little pocket constitution that Tom Hartman keeps on his desk and therefore I get to put up in my hand and use as a prop and hopefully it's more than a prop. I think that this did border on, more than border on criminality. I do think that at its worst, it's hard to imagine a worse case scenario than violating our international interests and our national interests and threatening and more than just cajoling and saying, let me ask a favor, though, to critical international allies for the benefit of one's own reelection. That is, you know, I can imagine some things worse, but that's in a real bad category of things. So I hope we will make the decision based on principle. I do hope that there is a process in the Senate that is not merely a Potemkin trial. But in terms of the polls, as I look at it, they're a little all over the place. The most recent one from The Economist that finished on December 17th had 50% in favor of removal and only 42% opposed. So right now it's kind of a coin flip. After the break, I want to talk about what might change that coin flip. This is Tom's show. I'm Jefferson. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Frank from Free Speech TV from Montana, I think, Thompson Falls. How are you doing, Frank? I'd just like to say I'm grateful for the fact that I grew up in a military family. My dad was a senior chief in the Navy, but yet he also taught me, both him and my mom, to be open-minded and to look at all aspects of our government. And he would be outraged right now by the fact that the guy we have in office is doing what he's doing. But... I'm also grateful to be an American, and my four 
deals with the impeachment trial would be that Pompeo, Bolton, Melvaney, and all those people would have to testify, even Pence. Yeah, if that would be the any of the case, and it is interesting that in Trump's letter on White House letterhead that many described as unhinged was not a point by point refutation of the accusations against him, but instead was sort of a random set of attacks and then conspiracies translated from the original Russian. If they were going to refute point by point, if a lawyer was going to be in charge of the refutation of the defense of Donald Trump, we would again hear and more often hear the argument, oh, well, we would need more direct evidence. Their defense up to now, other than just attacking anybody who's ever been a friend with anybody who's a member of the Democratic Party, other than that, their defense has been, well, is this really big enough to be impeachable? Well, it's kind of hard to make the case that leveraging international military assistance contingent upon harming a political ally is not serious enough. So then they go to, well, maybe there's not clear enough evidence. But what's interesting is we didn't hear so much about, well, there's not clear enough evidence of it because that gets them trapped into, well, then maybe they have to allow the additional direct evidence to come forward, which is a little bit like the Nixon tapes. It's human being evidence that the president has blocked, that his lawyers, that his confederates have blocked. So, yeah, I think that that uh, I think that is one of the, the key conditions that folks will be advocating for is that Bolton and others be asked to and required to and permitted to testify. Thank you so much for your call, Frank. And Mike, to you from Twisp, Washington, what a wonderful name of a town. I just wanted to weigh in on your uh, patriotic theme there from the start of the program, which I really appreciated, by the way. Thanks, man. Uh, I was thinking of a friend of mine named Don Young. He was my best friend for over 40 years, just passed away a couple of years ago. And he was a participant in the Battle of the Bulge. He would have loved the fact that um, the uh, impeachment of the president coincided with the uh, 75th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge. Yeah, the 75th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge. I I appreciate you bringing that up. I have not heard others make that connection, but it's a good connection to make. He was a very proud and progressive voted Democrat, I'm sure, but he was probably a little to the left of them, and he'd been captured in the Battle of the Bulge and barely lived through it. He was in prison camps and so forth, but I wanted to really quick. Hold on just for a second, Mike. You know, if you couldn't sleep because of an uncomfortable mattress, you'd buy a new one, right? So why do you keep sitting in that same uncomfortable office chair day after day? It's time to give yourself or a loved one the gift of comfort and productivity by upgrading to an X chair. With patented dynamic variable lumbar support, you will appreciate the X chair difference the very first time you sit down in one. Make an investment with a guaranteed return this year. Improve your comfort and productivity with the world's finest office chair, the X-Chair. Your body and your bottom line will thank you. X-Chair is on sale now for 100 bucks off. Go to xchairtom.com now. That's the letter X-Chair, T-H-O-M.com, or call 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairtom.com now and use your code X wheels for free X wheel blade casters. That's xchairtom.com. Or call 1 844 4 X chair. xchairtom.com.
Good morning, everybody. You are listening to the Tom Hartman Show. I'm Jefferson Smith. Donald Trump has been impeached. And on the line, we have Mike, who reminded us that that happened on the 75th anniversary of the Battle of the Bulge. Battle of the Bulge was the last major German offensive on the Western Front during World War II. And fitting that in a presidency that one of its defining features has been working with, been in alliance with those who are working to dismantle the post-World War II pro-democracy consensus, uh, working with authoritarians more than with small-D Democrats around the world. It is perhaps uh, synchronous. It is perhaps fitting. But, Mike, you wanted to either repeat your thought or finish your thought. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, well, I had two things I wanted to say in that case on the same subject of the battle. I just wrote to his daughter, who is a very good friend of mine, of course, that once again a battle led by extraordinarily patriotic Americans has been joined to fight against the forces of totalitarianism and fascism, and that's exactly to the point. And then uh, during the war, a Frenchman reportedly asked a soldier, why do you fight to free France? You're an American, not a Frenchman. And the soldier replied, I fight for freedom because I'm an American. And I think that's the point you were trying to make. Yeah. That it's the patriotic thing to do. That's the best uh, part, right? We have stuff to be ashamed of. We've got stuff to be proud of. And the stuff to be proud of is fighting against oppression. That's the best part of the American story. Fighting against oppression in the United States, fighting against oppression in our own selves, and fighting against oppression abroad. That's the best part of the story of America. That's the thing that's worth fighting for. When we are offering meaningful or meaningless praise to members of the military, the reason for that praise, the best reason for it, is not merely the willingness to kill or die. We wouldn't hold a ceremony for someone who's willing to kill or die for an evil thing. We wouldn't hold a particular ceremony for somebody who's willing to kill or die for, I don't know, the preservation of their own wealth or their company or some, you know, hired gun. We celebrate, we offer ceremony, we offer thanks because of a willingness to stand up for principles and ideals that matter. It's those principles and ideals that we celebrate. And so, heck yeah, man. Jerry, Denver, Colorado. Yes, how are we doing? Uh, uh, yeah, well, anyway, what I noticed, uh, there were like three representatives that did not vote. I saw that Tulsi Gabbard voted present. One was a Democrat, and two of them were Republicans, and I don't see the news cycle talking about that. Here's who they are. It was Representative Duncan Hunter from California, New York Representative Jose Serrano, and Illinois Representative John Shimkus. Hunter pleaded guilty to illegally using campaign money for personal expenses. Shimkus is not running for re-election, was on a long-term planned visit to his son, who's in the Peace Corps in Tanzania, and Serrano is also retiring and has Parkinson's disease and suffered a recent health setback. So with the possible exception of Hunter... It doesn't look like folks were unduly dodging the vote, other than Tulsi Gabbard, who showed up and then voted present. Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Let's go to Pete from Sherman Oaks. What's up, Pete? I wouldn't say I'm quite optimistic, but I'm less pessimistic. 
now than I was prior to the official vote because I'm seeing more I don't think it's as cut and dried that they're just going to you know switch it over to the Senate and have it go down instantly I think there are more options as I see them now and my question is it mostly is this with Mitch McConnell as he's been so brazenly and blatantly stating that he's not impartial basically he's in bed with the defense with Trump yeah and isn't he sort of like a prime jury yeah. uh, or like the jury foreman in effect by virtue of that he has to take an oath to swear but what he has said publicly now is in direct contravention and contradiction to the oath that he will have to swear in order to be a juror in that trial and the and it was also a political blunder he has been a hallmark of his career has been his procedural prowess he he wasn't all that powerful, wasn't that effective in the healthcare vote, ultimately. He misplayed that one. He also misplayed this. Up to now, he has not been punished for his process twisting of legislative norms and of the political process. When he denied Merrick Garland a vote, he did not suffer a political consequence. There is some political consequence at risk here, because when he said that, he opened it up. And I, by the way, on our local show on X-Ray, and shout out to X-Ray FM, and thank you again to all the Tom Hartman listeners who supported and made X-Ray name the best station in our town for the fifth straight year. But I noticed the very moment that Mitch McConnell said that, I said, wait a minute, this is a chance to make the argument. Mitch McConnell has made it clear why John Dean is right, why withholding until there are some conditions reached is so very important. And Mitch McConnell opened it up. He and Lindsey Graham said, oh, you can't trust us. But here, give it to us, because you can trust us. Free Speech TV, Corky from Rochester. It's your time. Speak your piece. Yeah, hello. Uh, what I would do is I would have U.S. Marshals standing right there in the U.S. Senate. And as soon as Mitch McConnell's done with his oath of office and he takes puts his hand on the Bible, they would have U.S. Marshals slap cuffs on him right then and there. And the same with Lindsey Graham. Because that, we all know, we've seen it, we heard it. He's not going to be partial. He's not going to live up to his oath of office. I hear you. Michael from Santa Clarita, go ahead. Yeah, I had to take off speaker there. Hey, yeah, I was just calling. You had the, and I applaud him for calling in the person who called in who was a Trump voter. And through the conversation, he finally devolved into, well, both sides do it. You know, well, yeah. they're all crooked. They all, and it's just such a false equivalency that when they have no more arguments, they always revert back to, well, both sides do it. The, the yeah, meet the it, press it, meme. No, it is, and and it was the it was the move that Donald Trump used after Charlottesville in saying there are good and bad people on both sides. When when the 
on one side were literal neo-Nazis, literally chanting blood and soil, literally chanting Jews will not replace us. But then he says, well, yeah, but there, you know, there's bad stuff all around. So we don't, we can't critique. And this, by the way, is the bastion, uh, one of the bastions of authoritarians and one of the bastions of oligarchs and one of the bastions of folks who want to distract from truth is just say, hey, everything's messed up. You can't trust anything. Anything that might offer you hope, anything that might offer you an answer, you can't trust them either. And one of the most effective, sort of Goldwater and after, one of the most effective arguments the right wing has used is government and democracy are bad. It's bad. You can't trust it. Yeah. Anything it does is bad. And therefore, let's leave it all to some other power. By the way, we have some other power in mind. And that other power is unfettered, concentrated capital. Just let owners win. Just let oligarchs win and forget, I don't know, the last 500 years of trying to make sure that there was something called democracy that we still care about. So you're right. It, 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 both sides are not equivalent. And by the way, there are many more than one sides to the dodecahedron of our democracy. That's true. And I figure I, I like to think of cynicism as a privilege. It's lazy. <laughs> Appreciate it, Michael. Eric, go ahead. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I think President Trump don't distinguish pronouns because uh, because at the, you remember when he was with that leader, he said us. He really meant he really meant I. Okay, yesterday at a rally, he said I don't feel we're being impeached. Now he's the only one getting. He's the only one. He's the only person that was going to be impeached yesterday. Not not the people at the rally. So it seems like you would say I don't feel like I'm going to be impeached. Yeah, but, but he said, you think? But you think? But Eric, you think he was? You think that was a slip of the tongue? The way I read that was not a slip of the tongue. That what he's been trying to—he's trying to use the Republican voter as a human shield. He's trying to say—I mean, his argument from the beginning has been, "Oh, they're not after me; they're after you. They're not after my bad conduct. They're after trying to reverse what you, the Fox News viewer and the Republican voter, wants." That's how I read it. I don't think he's distinguished. And if I was a good lawyer, I would use that against him. I would say, "Why do you? I would use it against him." Well, you're Marion, South Carolina. You got stuff going on in South Carolina. There's actually a chance to do something in the Senate seat. By the way, Wednesday is the worst day for Christmas. I, it, it's now clear to me. Wednesday is the worst day for Christmas. Wednesday is the worst day for Christmas because Wednesday is also the worst day for New Year's. Well, how come? It's now clear to me. Maybe it's clear to everybody. It's certainly clear to me. How come? Process elimination. Um, if if Christmas comes on a, and I am talking about Christmas, if uh, we were always allowed to talk about Christmas, still are. I hope we also don't think that the celebration of one religion should mean that no other religion can be celebrated, that that is also absurd. Anyway, if Christmas is on a Friday or Monday, we all know what to do. We'll take off the Friday and the Monday. If you want a really long weekend, you take it off an extra day. Same thing, New Year's, New Year's Eve, because, again, New Year's always comes, right, a week after Christmas. Tuesday, Thursday, same story. You just take a four-day weekend. If it's Wednesday, what the heck do you do? I think it just, I just think we leave for two weeks. I just think everything's gone for two weeks. Or, you know, some people are in, some people are out, so everything's just kind of haywire for two weeks. Wednesday, the worst day for Christmas. But that said, Christmas is coming. It's been a number of times that I've had the privilege, and it is a privilege to be part of this community uh, and to have this microphone the, for the day. 
on what might change the dynamic from just seeming like an entirely partisan thing. It's the, the Clinton impeachment felt and ended up being entirely partisan. It then was that, that was made clear in the next congressional election. To those, I got to throw this in, to those who said, oh, no, but it would end up being good for Clinton. No, it didn't. We don't know if Bill Clinton could have won re-election right after that. It certainly didn't seem to be good for Al Gore. Al Gore didn't think it was good for Al Gore because he kept Bill Clinton sidelined uh, during the election. Some people think that was a mistake. We don't know exactly what the political results will be, but we do see what the dynamic is now. And everybody's been saying, oh, yeah, well, the House will impeach and the Senate will acquit. Yeah, if you're prognosticating, that's good prognostication. What might change the dynamic here? A few things. New information. New information could change the dynamic. This, of course, is probably related. Why? The president has tried to block any new information from coming out. Another thing that could change the dynamic is a court requiring that new information. Some would say that that is what was at stake with the Kavanaugh appointment. And in fact, what Newt Gingrich said was at stake when he said on a panel and publicly in a microphone and in front of cameras, we will see if the Kavanaugh fight was worth it when it gets to the Supreme Court. Another thing that could change the dynamic, and I don't know if this is one thing or three things, is a growing awareness of a cover-up. Remember, a majority of Republicans were never in favor of the impeachment of Richard Nixon up to and until the moment he was, in fact, removed from office. They were sticking with him. Even without Fox News, they were sticking with him. But when it was discovered there were tapes, and when the Supreme Court said those tapes had to be disclosed, and when he was resisting those tapes. And all of a sudden, in the public consensus, in the zeitgeist, there was this new belief that, well, it's not the crime that's as bad as the cover-up, that he got nailed by the cover-up. Well, the best part of the Trump cover-up is covering up the cover-up itself. If there's growing awareness of a cover-up, I didn't say when we become sure that there is one. I say when there is growing awareness of one. That is the other thing that I think could change the dynamic. And that is why the John Dean position of withholding the articles until blank, until there is assurance that the Senate will run a good process, until there are some completed investigations, until we have the court's rule, until we actually make sure that Bolton and others are required to testify so the president can't say, oh, there's no evidence. I'm going to destroy all the evidence, and there's no, and there, I'm, my defense is going to be there's no evidence. That's, by the way, why obstruction of justice is a crime. Let's be clear. Obstruction of justice is a crime because otherwise there is a great incentive to obstruct justice. Bribe witnesses, scare witnesses, destroy documents, don't comply with subpoenas, and then you get off scot-free. So what we have in the wisdom of hundreds of years of lawmaking is obstruction of justice itself is a crime. Wait for that stuff, and maybe the dynamic could change. Wanted to offer that. Joe from Cupertino, speak your piece. Jefferson, I wanted to be thankful for you being there, but more importantly, I was really thankful for Tuesday night with about 500 of my friends out here rallying and hearing the horns honk. And it was just amazing. For a solid hour, all four corners were just filled with signs and people screaming. It was really well I was a little concerned. I thought maybe it would turn violent, but not any sign of any violence whatsoever. 
You know, today in 1998, the House referred President Clinton to the Senate for impeachment with two articles, lying under oath and obstructing justice. It's funny how things repeat themselves, but yeah. Trump will always be known in the history books as a former impeached president. And I'll follow him to his grave. Yep. How can how the Congress has spoken? We've already spoken, and he's been referred to the Senate. And now it's their turn to make their mark in history. You know, the thing is, is that there's a debate tonight in Los Angeles, and we're going to get an opportunity to hear some alternatives. I mean, I have my candidate, and I'm sure a lot of people have made their choices as well. But uh, to have this go on during this election is great. I think that it's perfect. If we keep this going until we come to the polls, it would be more more likely to take back the Senate. Trump's just an enigma. We yep. need to go in there and take out all this hatred for going in the wrong direction. The country is moving in the wrong direction. Rob, it's your turn from Mesa, Arizona. I had family in Mesa. Hey, I just wanted to give some talking points for the upcoming holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Responses. So anytime you hear Hunter Biden or the Bidens, just bring up Trump Jr. He should testify because he never testified in front of the grand jury yeah. for Mueller. Number two is like, I keep hearing he's wanting to be, uh, we want to impeach him from day one. That's because he's been impeachable from day one. And to keep it simple for Republican debate, bring up the Trump Tower again with Trump Jr. They might bring up the fact that, you know, the Mueller report exonerated everyone, which is false. The Mueller report found him guilty on, you know, obstruction. And as for the other things, it was undetermined. And the reason why it was undetermined is because the Republican crime family basically uh, put William Barr as the attorney general who shut it down very quickly. The Mueller investigation and my I got wrong. I predicted wrong the 2016 election, to be sure. But I predicted right that we are putting too much faith in Robert Mueller to try to hold power to account. There was not much in his background that suggested to me that he would go the extra mile to hold power to account. He didn't do that during his investigation of the National Football League and its commissioner. And he didn't go the extra mile in uh, in holding uh, Donald Trump accountable. And they and there are multiple moves they did to sort of limit and truncate the scope of the, of the investigation and shade the words of the investigation, which made it easier for Bill Barr to shade the investigation. But, yeah, if you read the darn report, nonetheless, uh, it is not an exoneration. It is an indictment of a president. Uh, but, yeah, I, I hear what you're putting down. You mentioned that they're afraid to speak out against them, and you're correct. So when your Republican representatives comes to town, uh, you know, simple words out of your mouth should just be you're a coward. Especially those who have served in the military are now a Republican because it's like they served us well and they defended the Constitution in the military, but now they're cowards once they're in office. Yeah. And for uh, your, your, to answer your one question about who I think should be the number one person to be at the Senate trial, we should all demand that Trump testify. That may never happen, but I think we as a voice should say Trump, Trump, Trump should yeah. be there. Let him defend himself, and then maybe they can negotiate you know, some other person to get in there. But I think he's the number one person that needs to be in there. Yeah, Rob, I appreciate it. And you know, they're bringing up Hillary Clinton all the time. Hillary Clinton on Benghazi sat in that chair for a day, for a day, and had people ask questions. Imagine Donald Trump sitting there for a day and answering questions. We can't imagine it. But, yeah, the fact that there was no requirement, the the fact the Mueller report and investigation was able to be completed without either Donald Trump or Donald Trump Jr. having to sit in a chair and answer questions, either under oath or under the sort of putative oath that you make when the FBI asks you questions, is a mistake of history. 
You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. Norm from Monroe. How you doing, Norm? Hi, Jeff. I'm a first-time caller. First-time caller, welcome. Hey, I love when you fill in for Tom. Appreciate it. It's really great. Hey, when this thing hits to the Senate, don't these guys and the senators end up being have to be sworn in again as jurors? Yes. They do. I mean, it, the, when those, they, it, it when is they not laid out, to be clear. It's not laid out in the Constitution. Uh, but Well, it's in, article, it's in Article 25 of the Senate rules. And the, right, and so the question is, what will be the rules that they use for the impeachment? Will there be any rule adjustments, any rules suspended, any new rules added? Uh, but yes, generally speaking, my understanding is they are going to be sworn in. Yeah, that's what I took because I read what I read it in the rules. Yeah, and when these guys take this oath, it's going to be they're taking an oath of impartiality. Hmm. Hmm. Well, how is this doesn't make any sense at all? Yeah, no, they already said like they already made clear. And I do think it was a blunder. Mitch McConnell got just a little arrogant. He understood it wasn't it wasn't just Mitch McConnell. No, I know it was Lindsey Graham and Lindsey others, but it Graham, mattered most. Cruz. It's been Lindsey Graham, sure. Ted Cruz. It's been a bunch of them. As soon as they start take as soon as they take that oath, I'm assuming Roberts is going to preside over this thing. Yep. As soon as they take this oath, isn't he going to say, "I find you in contempt. No. You're out." No, I don't think. I don't think Justice Roberts will do that. I think that the. I mean, he was appointed uh, by a Republican president. He was the favorite son of the Federalist Society, uh, which was uh, born and grew in the wake of Watergate uh, to change the nature of the federal judiciary, including to change it in support of a unitary executive of more of an elected king. Do I think John Roberts would feel totally comfortable about it? No. Do I what I predict? I try to avoid predictions, maybe. But uh, do I predict that John Roberts would hold a Republican senator in contempt? No, I don't. What Mitch McConnell says, it's a political process. But that is a description, not a prescription. That is, yeah, it's politicians who make the vote. It doesn't the Constitution doesn't say, oh, vote your politics. It doesn't say vote your faction. In fact, at the time of the ratification and debate, over the Constitution, the fear of the rise in control of factions was a critical fear of James Madison and others. Uh, if factions decide impeachment trials, then impeachment trials are thin paper, are insufficient checks to executive power. Uh, anybody in the Supreme Court should care about that. I care about that. But I do want to finish that point that I do think Mitch McConnell made a real mistake, that he got arrogant. He accurately read the politics of the Republican primary. He accurately read that what Fox News viewers and Sean Hannity listeners and Rush Limbaugh ditto heads wanted was to make sure that there weren't going to be Republican senators going after the president. He read that correctly. What he misread, in my view, is recognizing that that made so clear that there need to be conditions on that Senate trial prior to the articles of impeachment going from the House of Representatives to the Senate. I think there maybe should be more conditions than Nancy Pelosi has so far indicated. What do you think? The time flies. I'm not saying we're having fun. 
I'm not saying that grappling with a constitutional crisis of a president that is trying to keep himself from being held accountable is fun. But I can say that I appreciate the opportunity to discuss it with you. We're taking your calls. President Donald Trump has been impeached. What have we learned? What do we need to learn? Scott from Sheffield, you're on the air. I think that's in Iowa. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Hey, I got kind of a two-part question here. Now, with them, what's going to happen, say, early spring or whatever, that the House finds more impeachable offenses to bring up? Now that we are in full impeachment, how does this affect these courts saying 45 has got to turn over tax returns and stuff like that? How is all this, now that we're in full impeachment, affect this stuff? All right. That's helpful. I will do my best to answer, Scott. So on the first, new charges, new articles of impeachment could be brought. There are three ways to move forward on additional articles of impeachment. One way to move forward is they just don't happen. They don't get moved forward upon at all. They just somebody, you know, uh, the uh, emoluments uh, critiques that uh, Peter DeFazio's committee is looking into, the uh, almost certain tax fraud that the president has been engaged in, uh, that the obstruction of justice that was outlined in the Mueller report, that those things just get scuttled. That's one option. Another option is these articles get tried in the Senate. Mitch McConnell does what Mitch McConnell does. Ted Cruz does what Ted Cruz does. Lindsey Graham does what Lindsey Graham does, et cetera, et cetera. And then the House tries to marshal new articles of impeachment, tries to have an additional impeachment hearing and say, aha, here's more stuff, and we are going to impeach the president again. There's no rule against that. You could do that. It might be hard to get the votes again. There's a reason why Nancy Pelosi limited it to two articles, because she knows how to count. And of the people we're thankful for, anybody who wanted to impeach Donald Trump needs to be thankful to Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi held a caucus together that included a bunch of people who won in districts that Trump also won, included a bunch of people who wanted many more than two articles of impeachment, but she knows how to count. Linda Johnson said biggest skill of any uh, legislative leader is the ability to count. She knew what she could get the votes for. There would be a question. Could she get the votes for a renewed round of impeachment? The third path you sort of asked about. This was what John Dean said. This is one of the possibilities of withholding, of holding on to the articles and not sending them over. There is nothing that prohibits additional articles from being added. If it is made clear, listen, we can't send it over to a Senate unless there are assurances of a fair trial. It might be that those assurances will be very hard to make after the jury's foreman, after Mitch McConnell has said, it ain't going to be partial, we're going to be in cahoots with the defendant. It could be that during that back and forth, that there are additional information that comes to light, that the courts do rule. We find out more about Donald Trump's alleged tax fraud. We find out more about his alleged violation of the Monuments Clause. I say alleged almost with my tongue in my cheek. That we come to grips more deeply and more broadly with the accusations uh, in the Mueller report and elsewhere of obstruction of justice. And there is a vote not on a whole new round of an impeachment process, but just on new articles. That's a third path. And John Dean, with experience from Watergate, thought that was a good path. Dan from Huntsville. Alabama. Thanks for calling. 
Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me call. Yeah, so earlier we were kind of asking, what scenarios, how can we change this kind of loop we're locked into yep. the House and the Senate? And uh, to me, the Senate, I don't like that it's so not proportional. Wyoming's got half a million people. California's got 40 million. Yep. And they both get two senators. If this is always, as long as we have it this way, it's going to be a problem. So either do away with it. No, it's not simple. Or the way I calculate it, California senators' votes would count 80, and Wyoming senators' votes would count one. Yeah, so coming to big- grips with it, I, I actually do appreciate the call, and it, and it ain't off topic. This reminds us of the fundamental challenge of how do we make our democracy more of a democracy rather than less of one? How do we make it yep. more connected to the growing majority of the country and the current majority of the country, recognizing now how many presidential elections have been decided without that president winning? They've all been Republicans in this scenario without winning a majority of the country. How many times have the Republicans been able to win the House of Representatives without winning a majority of votes in House of Representatives races? And yeah, they just lost the U.S. Senate. What did I just say? Yeah, they in this last election where Republicans held on to the U.S. Senate, they actually got significantly fewer votes than Democrats did in U.S. Senate seats. Right now, the U.S. Senate is not small-D Democratic, not only not big-D Democratic. It is not small-D Democratic. What do we do? I think that's a legitimate question. Let me throw out a radical proposal, maybe a modest one. I didn't know there was a word for it. I didn't know it's how the Greeks did it. For me, it was a swifty and modest proposal that I wrote my freshman, uh, sophomore year, sophomore year, maybe junior year in high school, which was, well, we should just have people in Congress selected by lottery. Well, it turns out that's how it worked in ancient Greece and the origins of democracy that Aristotle said that elections are for plutocracy. The lottery is for democracy. That a system of sortition, of actually trying to select people not based on who can raise the most money and build the most power, but based on trying to get a cross-section of humanity, trying to get a cross-section of the citizenry, not just the limited cross-section of the Greeks, but a more full cross-section of the current United States, that that might be a growing answer, is a growing answer that is happening in various municipalities. So that's my wacky proposal for the day, but I appreciate the question. Is it going to be hard to change it? But it's not impossible. We've done big things in this country. We can change it how it works. No, it, that right now, when I say we've got to think bigger than impeachment, we've got to be thinking bigger than political party. We've got to be thinking about democracy. How do we actually get democracy to work? And I'm not saying do everything by sortition, but we've got to be willing to explore how to change our democracy to make it actually one. This is Tom Show. I'm Jeff. Thanks for being you. I want to say thanks so much to all of our listeners. It is such an honor to do this. You are the coalition of the benevolently irrational, the good people doing good things for no good reason. Without you, democracy doesn't have that much of a chance. With you, we got a chance. You are priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. Thanks, everybody. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.
Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155.